Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we come to this season of Thanksgiving, and, and I think for most of us, for me, I know, I just recognize I don't thank you enough. But Lord, help us to be increasingly grateful people. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for paying our debt. Thank you, Lord, for this family, the family of God, our brothers and sisters here and around the world. And Lord, I want to lift up our sister Kathy in Uganda. Lord, touch her and heal her from malaria. Lord, be, be her healer. Thank you for the work that they're doing there. I pray for uh, Pastor David and his wife there, Gracie, and, and pray for them to be strong and healthy and for her to have uh, a safe carrying of her little child in her womb, Lord, that that little child doesn't have sickle cell like uh, their sister does. I pray that that baby is whole and healthy. So be with them. Thank you for their ministry to the orphans there. And for all those that we support um, around the world, we just pray you'd bless their ministries and, and make this a special season for them as well. I know it's an American holiday, but I know many of them uh, uh, celebrate this time with us of Thanksgiving. So bless this season in their lives as well. Provide all their needs according to your riches and glory, Lord. So help us, Lord, as we look at this passage, speak to our hearts through it. And we invite the Holy Spirit to, to be at work in each of our lives as we go through this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Um, I forgot my glasses, hang on. Would you stand with me as I read the passage for today? Normally we would be in Corinthians. We just work through one uh, book of the Bible at a time, verse by verse. And, but today being the Thanksgiving season, I want to share, um, actually it's a sermon I, I preached here in 2006. How many of you were here then to hear that sermon? Oh good, only four or five. So <laughs> it won't be a repeat for most of you. <laughs> Amen. Psalm 118, which in part is a messianic psalm. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. You can say it with those parts with me. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do to me. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surround me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surround me, surround me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I will push hard so that I, I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. 
he has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Amen. You may be seated. So we are deviating, as I mentioned, from the Corinthian study because this is our Thanksgiving season, and I want to just focus on, on giving thanks. You know, throughout the scripture, giving thanks is synonymous with prayer. Jesus gave thanks when he broke the bread, when he fed the 5,000, and he gave thanks, the scripture says, when he broke the bread at the Last Supper meal. King David assigned priests whose chief duty, the scripture says, was to give thanks in praise and in song. On occasion, they would make petition, but their regular song were songs of thanks and praise to God. When King Jehoshaphat's army went out to meet a vastly superior forces, singers went out in front of them and they sang, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. When was the last time that you prayed and just thanked God? No requests, no confession, just thanks and praise. It's a habit worth developing. If the people of the Bible saw that prayer is chiefly concerned with giving thanks to God, perhaps our emphasis needs to shift. Please understand, I'm not saying that you should refrain from asking God to intervene in lives and situations, not at all. But I'm saying that emphasis should be on praise and thanks, at least as much as our request. You know, the American church, or we here in America, have grown so used to our abundant blessings that we forget how inundated we are with the goodness of God from his hand. We too often take it for all for granted. We are the most blessed nation on earth and we whine about everything. Our favorite national pastime isn't football or baseball, I think it's whining which just shows how focused we are on temporal things. There's one way to turn that around. Take the blessing away. 
I'm concerned that the Lord may have to take his hand of protection and blessing from our nation that we might be learned to be thankful for all the blessings that we do have. But that's another message for another time. And everyone said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Psalm 118 has more commands to give thanks to the Lord than any other chapter in scripture. So let's go through it, take a look at the Psalm and, and see what it can teach us about having a heart of gratitude. It begins with Israel's national anthem. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Yes, the national anthem of Israel had only two lines. And you can bet they didn't just sing it once. You know, sometimes I, I hear complaints about choruses. There's too much repetition. <laughs> and I say, well, you should sing the national anthem of Israel. <laughs> The song in this exact form is quoted seven times in scripture and many more times in, in with a variation. Apparently, David wrote it when the Ark of the Covenant was brought to Jerusalem. Uh, the passage doesn't say we should give thanks or you might want to consider giving thanks. It commands us to give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 commands us that in every situation, whatever circumstance we're in, we should give thanks. How do we give thanks? Well, we can give it in prayer. We can give it in song. It's usually expressed in words, but it can also be expressed in actions as well. Actions such as sacrifice. We can give thanks to God by doing what he asked us to do with a grateful heart. That's one reason Jews had a thank offering. They wanted to express thanks and gratitude to God by some form of something that cost them something. You know, David said, I, I will not give up to, to the Lord that which cost me nothing. If we want to give thanks, sometimes we can do something above and beyond what we would normally do to show God our gratitude. Silent. Actionless thanks is of little or no value. How can your heart be filled with gratitude and not convey that gratitude in some kind of word or actions? We have to be honest with our own behavior and examine whether or not we are truly grateful people. We're either grateful people or we're self-centered beings that think we deserve everything that we get because well, just because. That's another way of saying that we're deluded by our own pride. Some people think that hell is a place where the prideful narcissists have to endure one another. Something to think about. Humble people realize that they deserve nothing. We did nothing to deserve anything special. We didn't create ourselves or the, or, we, or the things we need, really. Life and daily necessities are a gift from our creator. Everything good comes from him. You might think man came up with the iPad or some other cool gadget, but who gave man the wisdom and the ability to make those things? It all comes from God. Do you have anything that was not given to you? Every breath we breathe is a gift from God. If everything, and I mean every single thing we have is a gift, then how grateful we should be 
what an attitude that changer that would be if we really took hold of that. That's the second thought in the first verse. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. He isn't hard and merciless dictator. He's a good God. The God of scripture is the best imaginable God. I don't think we could in our wildest imaginations come up with a more wonderful God. Everything he does is good. He punishes evil. Imagine what the world would be like if we had, if everyone had no fear of God, if there was never justice. It's a good thing that he punishes evil. He rewards righteousness. He made a way for all who will come to him to be reconciled to him. He plans out our eternity with our best interest in mind. He loves us. Can you imagine a better God than this? He commands us to stay away from things that are destructive to us and to do things that are actually good for us. He's a good God. So it's only right that we should thank him for being so good. When David wrote this psalm, the Ark of the Covenant had just come to Jerusalem. The last time he tried to bring it, he used practices that were forbidden in scripture and someone died. But when the psalm was written, they, they were bringing it back by the book and it was finally coming into the city of Jerusalem. And for them, it meant the presence of God was coming to rest among them. And they were giving thanks. They were dancing with joy because God is good. They were so overjoyed that the presence of God was going to be there in that tent in the city of Jerusalem, that, that their hearts were overflowing with gratitude. How grateful we should be that the presence of God is dwelling in our tent. Amen, the tent of these bodies. Not some tent or building, it's not, God's presence isn't just here in this building. He's made it possible that the very presence of God be in the tent of our bodies. So how much more grateful should we be than those who made this song in the beginning? Have you ever expressed your utter gratitude lately for that remarkable reality, the God who lives with us? The song goes on to explain that what goodness of God the psalmist is referring to. It's his steadfast love endures forever. Steadfast love is the Hebrew word hesed, and many of you have heard us talk about that before. It's the most frequently mentioned attribute about God in scripture. 125 times in the Old Testament, God is said to be a God of steadfast love. He's trying to get the point across because we see his justice and his judgments, which are true and righteous, and we are fearful that maybe he doesn't care about us. Maybe he just wants to whack us. But the Bible tells us over and over again, no, that's not the case. He's a God of steadfast love. He wants us to be blessed. He wants us to know him. So the uh, praise God that we have that presence of the steadfast love of God with us. The love that God has for us is not diminished because we fail or we're not perfect. God so loved the world that he gave his son and that love is forever because of all that Jesus has done for us. That can't be changed. He even loves those who we must judge because he is love. 
Even his wrath is expressed in perfect harmony with his love. You know, you who are parents, you know that sometimes we have to discipline our children. Every time I discipline my children, I cried with them. It broke my heart to discipline with them. And I think God has that same heart. It, it, it grieves him to have to discipline us, but he knows it's for our good. If God would give his son for us, the Apostle Paul asked, is there any good thing that he would withhold from us? If he would go to that extent, is there any good thing he would keep back from us? Now, is that something to give thanks for? You think maybe? <laughs> if we don't break out in prayer or song now and then, I think we just don't get it. We don't get how much he loves us and how good he is. We don't realize how much we are loved or in the hard-heartedness we fail to appreciate it sufficiently. We spend a lot of time on that first verse because it says it all. It's, it's repeated throughout scripture, all throughout the Bible. Verses two through four, though, tell us Israel, which is the chosen people of God, and the priests, the house of Aaron, all who fear the Lord should say, his love endures forever. So which part of that applies to us? It all does. The Apostle Paul very clearly says that those who are in Christ are grafted into Israel. In fact, he declares us to be the Israel of God, the recipients of the promises to Israel. So this applies even more so to us. Now, I'm not talking about replacement theology. I'm just saying this is for us too. We too are asked to praise him for his goodness to us. Not only that, but we are priests as well. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, we're told that we are priests unto God. Every believer has direct access to God through the Holy Spirit by whom we intercede for the lost. That's what priests do. They intercede. And we offer sacrifices as well, sacrifices of praise. And we are also those who, uh, who fear, or if you prefer, uh, reverentially respect the Lord. So every one of these verses tells us the redeemed believers to say, his love endures forever. Now you may have gone through or you may be going through a very difficult time. You may not understand what God has allowed. The sins of others may be crushing you at this moment or in the past and you might ask, are you sure, Pastor Paul? Are you sure love endures forever? But the psalmist was sure, and that's why he uses this word let. Let us say it. Say it with your mouth. Allow yourself to be convinced. Get your eyes off yourself. Look at the cross. And in spite of the evil in this present world, know that God's love endures forever. What reassurance. As one popular song says, it may be Friday, but Sunday's coming. It may be pain and suffering now, but resurrection is just a few days away. If it was all easy, why do you think the Apostle Paul would say that we should comfort one another with the truth of the resurrection? Why would he say that if in this life only we have hope, we are all people most miserable? Let me give you a warning. If you aren't longing for heaven, 
you've got a little too comfortable with this present life. Let us say his love endures forever. Our hope is not fixed on this world, but on the love of God that is eternal. Verse five says, in my anguish, I cried to the Lord and he answered by setting me free. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? This is what I've been saying. Believers have anguish. We all people have anguish. We live in a fallen world among fallen people. We are fallen and our, our transformation isn't yet complete. And because of that, we face the trials of life, some more than others, but we all face them. We cry out to the Lord and he sees us through to the other side every time. Has he ever failed to help you get through a hard time? Has he ever walked away and left you helpless? Never. Sometimes being set free is only in our spirit, but we are free nevertheless. And here's the most incredible and unexplainable comfort. The Lord is with me. There can be no greater comfort. Why is that such a great comfort? Because his steadfast love endures forever. And because of that, we can say with the psalmist, I won't be afraid, what can man do to me? The man or woman who's truly living in Jesus can be free from fear. Do you realize that's what torments the unbeliever on a daily basis? Some of you have forgotten what that was like. It was, it, it's been a long time since you experienced it. You know, people worry, what if I get fired? What, what if my sin from years ago is find out? What if inflation destroys my savings? Maybe some of you are thinking that right now. What if, you name it, there's so many things to be afraid of if your trust is in this life. I will not be afraid. In other words, I've set my will to refuse to allow fear to enter my heart because Almighty God is with me. If Almighty God is with me, what can any human being or group of people do? If the whole world were to rise up to do me harm, God will have his way for he is our shield. What can mankind do to me apart from the will of God? You might say, hold on. They can and they have done many things that have caused believers pain. Yes, that's true. Yet in the midst of it all, God is with them and using those things to teach them compassion, to strengthen their faith, to draw them closer to himself. We may see it as a hardship, but God allows the evil of others to bless our life. It happened throughout scripture. He allowed Jacob to meet Laban to teach him about his own nature. He allowed Paul to have the thorn in his side to teach him to rely on God's strength. He allowed persecution and martyrdom to get the early church out of Jerusalem and out into the world like he commanded them. And he works the same way in your life and in mine. So what can man do to me? Plenty. But what God allows will be used to make us more Christ-like. And that's why we do not need to fear it. That's another reason to be thankful. Fear should have no power over the, over the believer, the true believer. 
Recently, the fear of death has caused many to lose their freedoms. But Jesus came to, this is Hebrews 2.15, deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The Son has set us free. Amen? Verse 8, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. This is the exact center of Scripture. You can count back so many verses, it's the same number as going forward so many verses. This is the center of the Bible. And it's a central message. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. I don't think it's a coincidence that God put it right there in the middle. The stories of scripture often teach us that we need to put our trust in the Lord. Every time man looks to his own strength, he fails. Every time he looks to the Lord, he succeeds in the end. Relying on the unseen takes faith. And the reason we're prone to trust in self is that we lack faith. We tend to explain away the many times the Lord has rescued us. And that's, most of us have that kind of testimony, don't we? Well, I remember when the Lord rescued me from this, and then, and then there was this, and then this happened, and every time he rescued us. And this is another reason to give thanks. When you truly make the Lord your refuge rather than man, look what security you have. Man can rarely take a bad situation and turn it around into a valuable lesson or even a great victory, but God does that on a regular basis. Thank God he's all powerful to be our only safe refuge. The Psalms are full of that message. Whatever you're going through today, look to God first and foremost. It's definitely better to trust him than trusting in what feeble man can do. Verse 14, the Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. Three reasons in a row in this little short verse to give thanks. First, the Lord is our strength. When we're weak, he will see us through. When we don't feel like we can go on, we can depend on his strength. His resources are infinite. His love is boundless. His grace is magnanimous. We need never fear him being inadequate to meet our needs or being unconcerned about our needs. Secondly, he's our song. That song of thanks that wells up within us is the Lord. Abraham actually first said this. He's, he's quoting, the psalmist is quoting Exodus 15, verse 2. The Lord is the one our song is about. We sing of his glorious attributes. We just sing of, of, of those attributes. His power to deliver us, his love that comforts and assures us, and his grace that is greater than all our sins. Countless songs have been written and countless more will be written about Jesus. Uh, the number of songs written about Jesus far outnumber even the love songs written in the world. Just one person, Fanny Crosby, wrote over 10,000 hymns, and she was blind. No other reason can come close to filling our hearts with songs of who he is, and every one of them is a song of thanks. 
And he, third reason, he has become our salvation. Jesus' name, Yeshua, means salvation, the salvation of Yahweh. That's by far the easiest one for us to comprehend and be grateful for. We've been reconciled to God. We don't have to fear judgment. Where would we be without that? How could he so love us that he would go to the extent of the cross? But he did. And when we realize that, our hearts should swell with gratitude. Verse 15, shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. He leads us to victory over our weak nature, over our, the temptations that bombard us, over the world that seduces us, and we shout for joy. It's a shout of thanks. And by the way, the tent in which the shout resounds is your body. We shout a shout of thanks because the Lord has done mighty things in us and will do mighty things through us when we yield to his spirit. How amazing that almighty God would even stoop to work through us. Verse 19 and to 21. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. No wonder Jesus referred to himself as the gate. John chapter 10. This psalm predicted Jesus coming. We see the psalmist looking in faith to God making a way for him to be made righteous, a gate that he could enter to become righteous. And it is through the righteousness of the gate, Christ Jesus. Actually, the next verse 22, verse 22 in the psalm is quoted by Jesus. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Why do we give thanks? Because he answered our desperate plea for forgiveness. He gave us his righteousness and he became our salvation. The gates are open to all who will enter in but some will refuse to enter the provision God has made for them. Verse 24, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This isn't a message for thanksgiving alone. It's a message for every day. Every day we can have joy and be glad because despite our circumstances, God is still the awesome God he's always been and he will see us safely home. Verse 28, you are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God and I will extol you. I will, the psalmist is making a declaration. He's commanded us to give thanks for all God's goodness and here the psalmist is declaring that he will. He claims God as his own because God has called him his own and he will exalt God, which is to speak of the wonder of who he is. That's what he's been doing throughout the psalm. He's been speaking of the greatness and the faithfulness of God. Is the Lord your God? Will you exalt him? Will you choose to exalt him with your life? Will you enter the gate, Christ Jesus? And if you need more convincing that having an attitude of gratitude is beneficial. 
Did you know that recent research shows that grateful people experience fewer aches and pains and report feeling healthier? Professor Robert Emmons, PhD, the world's leading scientific expert on gratefulness states that gratitude reduces toxic emotions ranging from envy to frustration. It reduces depression and increases happiness. Oh, and yes, he says, it will help you sleep better too. That's a very minor reason. He is the big reason. His steadfast love is the big reason. And just in case we missed the theme, the psalmist closes the way he opened with the national anthem of Israel. I think they needed this because they tended to murmur rather than give thanks. I mean, you read through Exodus and it's one murmuring bout after another, which is an all too human tendency. And we need it for the same reason. Can we adopt, maybe we can write a song um, with this, this verse. I mean, we, are, we have one, we sing one forever. And maybe we can close with forever. Will that work? But maybe we can write a new one and it can be Wayside Song, the same song that Israel sang. Are you thankful? Do you declare it? Will you exalt him? Will you sing it? Let's sing it. And then I'll close with prayer.